When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today is Alastair Bolding. Al is a construction sciences and management teacher and a master tradesperson. He teaches at Clemson University. I met Al just a few weeks ago. I wanted to have a conversation with Al to share with my audience his journey into and through the construction industry. And perhaps his love for the trades is the thing about him I find so interesting. Al, welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast. Glad to be here, Dennis. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. So you heard the last thought. You know, one of the things that I'm getting, it's, start, it's, it's actually starting to annoy me a little bit, is that I don't like the way people talk about our industry. They don't talk about it in the, in the positive opportunities, possibilities uh, sense that I think it uh, deserves. And so when you and I first met, you know, what I really liked about you was that you love the trades. I do love the trades. I've been in them for, what, 20, 21 plus years. I, I didn't really particularly want to be in an office when I was 18, 19 years old. And I wanted to be outside doing something. It was an easier way for me to learn, I suppose. I don't know if it was easier because going through an apprenticeship program, I had to go to school during the week as well. So it wasn't like I didn't do any textbook work. I did tons of textbook work. Mm-hmm. But I also enjoyed being able to see what I was working on, going mm-hmm. out and actually working with the crews and sweating a little bit. I, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoy everything about it. And I actually still enjoy the money that it makes me to this day. I'm not sure how loud I'm supposed to say that right it's out okay. into the universe because yeah. I do teach as well. And I love teaching. But I was a yeah. teacher in the trades. Did you go through a, a formal apprenticeship program? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 638. Local 638, UA pipe fitters, steam the fitters, pipe fitters in New York okay. City. Yeah. Describe a little bit about that. Did they find you in, as a pre-apprentice? How did they recruit you and bring you in? I was, a couple of my friends were actually in already, mm-hmm. and they were great guys. And they, I was already working in cable back when there was cable. I don't know if there is cable now anymore in the city. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> so... That was like Local 3, the electrical union up there. Local 3, they had a, 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 you know, a side B, division mm-hmm. B, that was cable workers. So I was mm-hmm. trying to get into that, worked with some people in there, and I just found HVAC in the union. And my buddy said, hey, come on in here, go on an interview. And I didn't get hired specifically through the union. I got hired through the company. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, they looked at me and I said, oh, this guy's going to work. And I did work. I was a worker. I didn't mind putting in hard hours, long hours of work. Uh, I always said this to my buddy, Adam Hoots, the more I worked, the more I learned, the more I learned, the more I earned. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when I got in, I just, I remember when it, the company actually put me into the union and then paid for my apprenticeship program. So mm-hmm. it was a paid apprenticeship, right? I actually got paid for one whole day a week to go to school. And then we had homework. We did that homework and then came back the next one day a week until we went to two nights a week to finish up the program. In third year, you had to go two nights a week on your own time. 
So once I got in, I was just one of the guys that my buddy was in his sixth semester and I was in my first and I went to go get some certifications that only the sixth, fifth and sixth semester folks were going to get. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, Al, what are you doing here on a Saturday morning? I said, well, it's free. Like it's free education. Free was for me. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I wait to get this? They're paying for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got a, a $40,000 education for free. You know, I'm still friends with the owners. I'm still friends with them till this day. I talked to, to, to one of them just the other day, about mm-hmm. a week ago. And actually, he asked me to write a recommendation letter for his son to go to college. Really? Interesting how the way, the way that, that flipped back and forth, right? It's, it's like, That's great. Yeah, That's that was great. very nice. Even though I said, why is he going to college? But, you know, so that was a joke. Yes. It was funny. It was sort of funny. It was sort, sort of funny. funny. It yeah, was sort of yeah. funny. Yeah, it's, uh, but uh, we don't do sort of funny. It's got to be like really funny to it's get me to laugh. It's got to be hysterical. Okay. It's got to be hysterical. Yeah. So I want to stick around this theme about you love the trades. So you just described your, your entry into the industry, uh, being hired on by a contractor, uh, enrolled in an apprenticeship program. Unions in general do a good job with apprenticeship. Yeah. At least that's my observation. Some of them do it very well. Uh, mm-hmm. None of them do it poorly, at least the ones that I've had connection with, which are more in the, let's call it the finishing trades end of the, of the industry. But why do you think, and so I'm, I'm going to, I'm jumping forward to today, and if you don't agree with this premise, and you can, you can disagree and, and explain why, why does it seem that as the, as the generations keep rolling, that we seem to be having more and more difficulty attracting uh, particularly young people into the trades? Do you, does that premise make sense to you? Is it, do, you it, do you see it, that? It makes, it makes complete sense to me because I asked my goddaughter yesterday if she wanted to get into construction, into a trade. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I don't want to do that at all. And maybe asking a young woman and young man could be kind of put into two different categories. Mm-hmm. But let's just keep it as a young person for now. And I know yeah. it's a woman. Yeah. But the stigma of the trade being dirty, mm-hmm. being, and sometimes it is dirty. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's act, that's one of the things that appealed to me about it, that I like to go out there and do things. But to her, and there's so many avenues we can go down, to, to a young woman like her that's on TikTok and on the social media platforms, and whichever one it is, Instagram, and some, some, some of these platforms are very useful, right? We use them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're young and you don't know that it's a tool and it's just your complete life, you're fixated around likes getting hashtag likes or whatever they do, Mm -hmm. um, they get immersed in that. And they think that that's really the real world. These famous people, these singers, they're dancers, whatever they are. I'm not, I'm not trying to crush anyone's dream. I'm just saying that they're following that more than the dirty trade job. And no one's, no one's talking up trades. I mean, how Mm -hmm. many people are talking up trades that are right next to the, to that, those youth, those, those young people. Mm-hmm. Mike Rowe, ask my goddaughter if she knows Mike Rowe. Not a chance. She has no clue who he is. Right? Ask her even, she only knows what I do because I'm that closely connected to her. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I talk it up, but when she has 50 people around her talking it down, and then she sees things on TV that are talking them down, they're making fun of trades on TV. When's the last time we saw a TV show? Tim the Toolman Taylor is gone. Yeah. It's over. What TV show is, is broadcasting trades are cool? Trades are great. Anyone? Right. Maybe we need to make Hollywood shows where we actually have young people in trades, realistic, regular folks that are in trades, or a young person that's 25 years old that 
owns his own concrete company. That is that that's still cool to them, but mm-hmm. we don't have. So you have you have a lot of things going against us: the technology, the fast-paced stuff, the instant gratification. I need likes. You have kids nowadays that want that. They want it right now. They don't want to be dirty. Their perception of the trades is all dirty. When meanwhile, we all know that I could spend a whole day reading wiring schematics, a whole week, and just wiring thermostat wire, control wire throughout a whole building. I'm barely getting dirty. I have a screwdriver and wire cutters in my hand. Mm-hmm. Wire strippers, that's all I have. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's more technical than a lot of office jobs. That's just my opinion of it. And right. someone could argue with me on it. But people don't know that there's a cleaner side to trades. And they also don't know that there's a career path in a trade. You could go from a, a, an, a, an apprentice to a journeyman, to a foreman, just like me, to a supervisor, to a project manager, right? To a teacher, to a professor. You could do all these things. To a director, a CFO, you could do anything. So we're not broadcasting that. We're not broadcasting it to the young people enough. And Hollywood, I'm, I'm gonna say, that I'm gonna use that typical word, Hollywood. When's the last time we saw someone say, or broadcast something good about the trades on TV. When? Mm-hmm. Name a show, please. Yeah. I wish we had yeah. an audience right now so they could yell out and name, name one for us. Because yeah. I don't think they could. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Is it safe to say that when you came into the trades, there, there was less of a, a stigma? Or did you, did you just present as a, uh, as a young, strong male? What, when I was growing up, so I grew up, right, I'm right now 41, right, so 82, okay, in the 90s when I was like a teenager, right, actually up north where I grew up, for someone to say, hey, oh, you're in a union, man, that's a good job. As soon as you said the word union, that was just a good job, okay, so when you say the word union, you got to think, that's a trade, right, and no one looked down upon that. That was a good job. You were going to get a pension, maybe an annuity. You were going to have medical benefits. You learned. You had a craft. That was looked at as good. It wasn't looked at as bad in, in my area. I also come from a time where there was you know, automotive classes and workshop classes in school. So that's different. There was home ec as well. It's, it's, I come maybe from a different time. And you may come from the time right before then, right? Like way before. The, I came way before your time. Way before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay, you know, because I that's uh, you got to start somewhere. So it wasn't frowned upon in your time, I don't think. No, I mean, because again, the the basic rule of thumb for my generation was you you get a job, you work hard, you make a living, and you take care of your family. It's pretty straightforward, you know. And I think those words, if we bring them forward to today, th- those words are not are not so dissimilar. Again, the whole notion of, of the nuclear family, that, that term has gone by the wayside yeah. decades ago. But the idea that, that you, as an adult, you need to take care of yourself and others. And so that kind of a general thought, you know, comes into play. But what are you teaching at Clemson? What do you, and what kind of, what are the students, profile of the students you have in your classes? I teach construction sciences and management, all right? And I teach estimating for overall construction, residential, commercial, environmental systems, which really MEP, F, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, that's my bread and butter right there. I teach a few classes, but some, a lot of the students, I'd say it's 50-50 on the ones that have family in construction prior to coming here and the ones that don't. I was just talking to a student a little while ago where he's been framing out houses since he was 15. Another one's been grading with his father since he was 
12 or 13, a young woman, her father's a plumber, and he actually builds houses on the side, and they like flip houses. He'll move the family into the new house while they're still building, and then sells the old one. And so she came to construction sciences and management. I think a lot of them came to cover the basis of the management aspect of it. Like they could learn the trade from their family, but getting the management aspect and they wanted the college degree along with it. Um, and the other ones, the other 50%, they, I guess they just think it's a good career and they want to get into it. And <clears throat> I'm glad to see that though. That's for such young people to know, like, I want to get into construction and I'm going to get a degree. I, I think it's a great thing. Um, but it's like a 50-50, the ones that were exposed to it before, prior, and the ones that haven't been. We actually, we actually just built a, uh, we have a lab, like an MEP lab. So we have a site on campus, it's off campus, it's not on the main campus. We have a site where we actually bring students out and they run heavy equipment. They can do piping. They can do some trades work along with the management, air quotes, right, just textbook stuff that we teach them in the classroom. So right. our programs actually, it's, it's a lot better than the bachelor's degree that I got in, in construction sciences and management. I'll say that. Yeah. A lot more hands-on. They, they do internships every, some of them continuously work and some of them just do internships in the summer because they need 800 hours of working with a construction company, whether it be a subcontractor, a, a GC, either one. So it's actually a good program here. Let me zero in a little bit on, on, on one of the things that is talked about more and more in, in, uh, in our industry. And it has to do with trying to attract specifically women and people of color into the industry. And it's, and it's a broad swath. I mean, it's, it's women and people of color. They're kind of just all lumped together. And so the, the old, as I would refer to myself, the old white guys are saying, we, if we're going to, we're going to attract them, we got to do some, some different things. Uh, you know, I don't know if we want to put the effort in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where do you sit on this whole notion of, of the viewpoint that the traditional construction companies and, and again, the baby boomers have with regards to people and trying to get people to come into our industry? Well, you know, when we talk about, it's obviously a predominantly white male industry, mm-hmm. right? It is. I, I've walked into tons of meetings where I'm the only black guy in the room, mm-hmm. okay? And then there's, you know, one woman in the room, or maybe there's one Indian guy, or, mm-hmm. you know, one Spanish guy in the room. Like, there, it's, that's, a, that's a regular thing for me in my career. As, as I leveled up, that's what I saw. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to make a racial thing a racial thing, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I, I see some, there are some issues. You know, when over 90% of the management in the industry are white males, it doesn't average out with the, the workforce. So if, if you have 30% Hispanic, and let's just stick to the big ones, right? 30% Hispanic, 20% black, don't even go into gender just yet, right? And then 50% white, mm-hmm. right? How mm-hmm. is it that 90% of the management is white? Mm-hmm. That, those numbers don't really make any sense, do they? So if it's the same old saying, if, if you can't see your, if you don't see yourself in it, then how can you see yourself in it? Mm-hmm. Right? If you don't see yourself, see someone like you in those positions, then how do you see yourself getting into those positions? Now, I'm actually doing research on that. And a friend of mine, he's an owner of a glazing company. And he says, I spoke to him the other day. I said, we're more of associates than friends. 
But I said, would you like, would, can I interview you to see your perceptions on the industry? Because I'm, con I'm concerned about minorities overall getting into the industry. Mm -hmm. And he said, Al, I don't think I'm going to be good for it because, you know, I don't, I don't really see it. You know, I don't care about it. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. those are two different things. Right. Not seeing it and not caring about it are two different things. I'm a go-getter just like you. That's because that's how I've held all the positions I have held, right? The position I have now. Because I don't concern myself with it. I, I could, I'm the guy that still walks in the room even if I'm the only one of me in the room. Mm -hmm. If there's a room full of women, I'm walking in the room. If there's a room, room full of white men, I'm walking in the room. I don't care. That's mm -hmm. me. I don't mm -hmm. care. Um, but some people aren't like that. They need to see themselves in these positions so they feel comfortable. Because in my research, that one owner may have that perception. That's the way he thinks about it. And that's the way I think about it. But I've also talked to other tradespeople that are in the industry, they're tradespeople, and they've said, you know, I don't want to work in the office space. I don't, want to, I don't even want to be in management, Al. I, I, you know, I feel uncomfortable in there with them. That's how, we, that's how these guys say it, some mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. I feel uncomfortable in there because I talk a little different. I talk with an accent or I talk with, you know, uh, they say ain't instead of mm -hmm. I'm not. Right. Right. It's, it's very different. I had the approach of, oh, the owners are reading that book from Jack Welch. I'm going to go read that book from Jack Welch too. Everyone's not like that. They just want to do the good job. Mm -hmm. They don't want to play the game. And truthfully, I played the game. I'm not going to lie about it right now. Like I played the game. You know, Dennis, you tell me there's a book to read right now. I'm going to read it. Not even necessarily because I want to. Soft as steel, Al. Soft as steel. I'm, I'm going to read it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. That was a perfect setup. Thank you very much. You got it. Right? Yeah. And it's getting read. So yeah. uh, some people don't want to do that. There's women that I've known in the industry. Some of them were hit on by their service managers. And they mm -hmm. felt that my friend, so, so I have two... One friend, one acquaintance, and they told me they left the industry. They left a union, right, for five years apiece, one maybe five, one the other six, because they felt uncomfortable mm -hmm. in the industry. Why are we making women feel like that? What is that? And what is this? Something called, I call community career conditioning. When you make those women feel that way, do you really think they're going outside and telling other women they should get into the industry when they felt that way? Right. I, it's highly doubtful. Yeah. It's highly doubtful, right? One, one, and here's another one. I asked another friend of mine the other day, because this is what I constantly do, actually, because I'm trying to set up a lot of interviews with people. I said, would you tell, you know, a brother to get into the industry? And he says, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I would. I just give him the real view of it. They're probably, you're probably only going to get to this level. But, you know, even, at the, even as a journeyman, you're going to make good money. You're going to provide for your family. You're going to get the pension annuity. So, but just don't expect to get up there. You mm -hmm. might not get there. So just don't even put that on your radar. And I said, damn, that's, that's like the best and worst sales pitch I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, that's, it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't pitch it like that. I, I pitch it the whole way that you could get anywhere you want to get. Uh, maybe I'm a, uh, it's a, the glass is half full type of guy, but mm -hmm. I've seen certain things that I should have been uncomfortable with. Oh, since I'm on a roll with stories here, I was in a meeting once where uh, we had project management meetings every Wednesday morning. Every Wednesday morning. And one of the other project managers 
we're sitting with the with the, the two owners, and one of the other project managers telling a story of what happened on one of his projects just the day before, where two of the foremen, one of them called the other one the word. He used the N-word, right? He used it a few times. Mm-hmm. And so the, in this meeting, the project manager is talking about these two foremen, these workers on a job site, but he's using the word in the story to explain it. Now, I understand that he wasn't using the, he wasn't calling me the word. He wasn't, you know, right then I got a phone call from about a project I was running. I said, well, this looks like an ideal time for me to step outside the room, right? Mm -hmm. I went outside the room. I took my phone call. I came back in. The owner says to me, he says, hey, Al, like, you all right? You're you're okay with, you know, no, that wasn't meant to be offensive. I said, no, no, no. I said, hey, don't worry about it. You're not getting sued today. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Like, (laughs) let's proceed with the, but this is what I had to deal with. Things like that. Now, let me also say this. I'm not one of these, like, someone told me, oh, Joe Rogan said all this stuff. They said, he said, he said this word so many times. And I said, and I watched it. And I go, well, like, I need more context than that. Is he, yeah, he shouldn't be saying the word. Right? He shouldn't. But how did he say the word? Was he calling someone the word? Or was he just saying, this person said this to this other person? So I'm... Maybe I'm in a gray area, you know, like, did I want to say, hey, why are you saying that? Just tell the story without that. You, you don't need to say the whole thing to tell the story, as I didn't need to say the whole word right now to tell the story, right? But I also have to, I had to, you know, this was about 10 years ago. I had to play my air quotes again position because I needed to get somewhere in my career. I saw there was something bigger at the end of the day than, but I had to deal with that meeting. Right. I sat through that meeting, and um, it's not the first time. It wasn't the last time. It, it, um, it, it's come up in a lot of other places, and, but I've just kind of dealt with it. But I could have been the type of person that walked out of that room and said negative things about everyone in that room and told the other workers that were minorities, you know, to, they're like, these guys are like, you know, the management over here are bad people. It's, I didn't do that. I encouraged the, the workers that I managed to uplift themselves, to go take extra certifications, to go and, and um, you know, I, I, I guess fight the good fight, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know how to say that, really. But I wasn't the type that would discourage people, even if I was because dis- I wasn't. Dis- actually, I wasn't discouraged. I just know the world that I'm in. And sometimes it's like that and sometimes it's not. If we can't, let's be optimistic in a, in a small way for the moment and say that we begin to have some success in drawing uh, the younger generations into the industry, which we, which is not just a, a nice thing to do. It's something we really have to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, it's 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 it boils down to being almost a numbers game, and the numbers that are going out the door versus the numbers that are coming in the door are not in balance. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't I don't know specific the specific numbers, but I think that's a fair generalization. Yes. But let's let's assume that the, the tide turns and uh, the younger generations who we come to understand among their values that one of the things that the two youngest generations in the workforce uh, are that uh, ways they are different from from my generation in particular is and I'll say this in a direct way they don't see color the same way that my generation sees color and I'm referring to the color of someone's skin. I agree with that. Yeah. I I agree with that 100. percent We're building a house. 
were working with Habitat for Humanity to build a house, right? And a lot of the students out there, one of them left, had to leave early to go on an interview, and he's coming back and he's driving it. And this this kid that I I not to make any generalizations, but like he's like right off of a farm, uh-huh. and and wherever it is, you yeah. know, cowboy hat, and he's like pumping hip hop uh-huh. in his truck. The world's changed if they don't see color the way I did twenty years ago, or that maybe your generation saw color. Like the colors, it's more meshed. They're all listening to the same music now. It's everything's getting a lot better, in yeah. my opinion. Things are things are getting a lot better. As you look forward, you have maybe not in a specific way, but you have a sense of optimism about the workforce and what the workforce is going to look like, and and who's going to be in the workforce as we go down the next generation or so? I worry, yeah, I, I'm super optimistic about it. I worry less about racial issues than I do about actually gender issues. Hmm, say yeah, more, say I, more. I, I think that it's, it's, it's almost more important to get more women involved, mm-hmm. hmm. all right? And I actually have a few theories on that. One, you, you're fighting a fight with one arm tied behind your back, right? All construction is not heavy lifting all day. We do have machines, everyone knows. Right? We do have chain hoists. A woman could torch something and weld something. A woman could read a wiring diagram, mm-hmm. just the same as a man, turn a screwdriver and you know, put a breaker bar on a pipe wrench. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of tools that women can do those jobs. But so we're fighting a, a fight without one arm tied behind your back. And I just have this, this theory, this idea that when, when men start seeing women get into the trades and make more money than them, the ego will be crushed. Mm-hmm. And they'll realize, like, oh, man, my woman makes more money than me. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of the guys that I'm enthusiastic. I, I, I wish my wife way, way, made way more money than me. <laughs> I, my, you're not going to crush my ego. I, right. I love it. I yeah. love it. I, I think some men are like that. I've heard men say, I, my woman can't make more money than me because, uh, you know, you know that takes away my purpose. Brother, you need to find a higher purpose then. Yeah. Because that's just shallow as, yeah. as hell. So I think we, we need to get more women involved. I think other people fall in, in place. Uh, the, more of the men will fall in place. I think we need to get more Hispanic folks into management roles. I think we need to get more, I think we need more women, blacks, Asians, Hispanics in management roles. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to see yourself there. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see the senators and the police commissioners. Those are public positions. So you look at a lot of public positions, those roles had to be filled earlier on. 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. That started changing. We're talking about private companies. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's a whole different thing. Now, everyone could have their DEI commissions and and all that stuff, but also, is your DEI committee or ch- commission, is that really relevant to your workers? Do the workers even know what that is? I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to ask you the question, and I'll pose it anyway, and you can respond. When I reference DEI, what are your thoughts about DEI? I just realized that someone put DEI, now it's B, and belonging. And I hope that DEI doesn't turn into something. You don't need a bunch of more letters. Inclusion needs belonging, I would assume. That's just my opinion. Maybe someone could argue with me. I don't know. But inclusion, to me, means you belong. Mm-hmm. I, don't think that, I don't think that a lot of the workers even know what that is. 
Right. And maybe that's a bad assumption. Yeah. I don't think people know what that is. It doesn't mean anything to anyone besides the people sitting in the room mm-hmm. that are at the table, mm-hmm. quote unquote, at the table already. And maybe there's a bad perception of it too, of mm-hmm. DEI. Why are we doing this? We don't need to do this. Well, anyone that realizes, like you said a few minutes ago, that our labor going out and our labor coming in, it's not sustainable. Right. We're not bringing enough in to make up for what's going out. Yeah. It's not a sustainable system. And I'm sorry, robots aren't going to come build our jobs yeah. by tomorrow. And they shouldn't, in my opinion. Yeah. We, the people that are at the table need to realize that this is, it has to happen. And I don't know if it's DEI that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, but something has to happen in terms of it needs to be more of a balanced system. When it comes in a conversation somewhere, is it coming in a conversation because someone said, I just went to this DEI training or I think it's as, you know, this is a bunch of crap or how is it generally talked about when you hear the three words? You know, three letters? For, for, for me, I don't know if that question, I might not be the best to answer only because and I was looking up DEI stuff that I know a com- couple companies or a lot of companies are getting involved in it. But mm-hmm. if they're involved in it, how isn't it working already or mm-hmm. what, what's what are they doing i'm really interested in seeing what they're doing i think turner's doing a lot with it mm-hmm. there's a lot of big companies out there that are doing some things with it but i i, I don't want to talk bad or good about them yeah right yet yeah yeah i was curious because i'm here you know i hear um uh, as recently as today i hear someone saying that uh, they didn't want to have a particular speaker at a at a meeting because they're getting so much backlash over dei which caught me, you know, caught me off guard. I, but then it, then it makes some sense. As you know, from a little bit of research you've done on me, you know, I, I talk about kind of four things are part of my spiel, so to speak. One is love. Uh, the second is uh, inclusion. Uh, the third is social justice. And the fourth is leadership. I, I very specifically don't, I don't include diversity. Again, I think it has a different connotation. I think it's an, a term that is, a, is backward looking. And I think what you said is correct, and that is that inclusion means that you, you, that I belong. And uh, as every day passes, the composition of po- the population and therefore the composition of the workforce is continuing to change. I think if leadership was more involved with love, then inclusion would be happening. And love could be pushed out, pushed nice. in there for diversity, right? Nice. Like, you, you I don't like the really... way you said that. I may have to. I may have to steal that phrase. Take it. It's, a, it's you know, all yours. I may give you attribution, but uh, it'll dep- I'll see what kind of a mood I'm in. <laughs> yeah, if if it helps somebody else, then take it and run with it. No, I think if leadership really got involved with it and looked at it from more of a, a loving stance, like you, you don't need to care. You should always acknowledge what color or what gender someone is. I had to correct someone one time. They said, "I don't see color." No, you know, you should. Mm-hmm. You really should. You should see color and gender. If you're saying you don't see color, you're not acknowledging my life. Mm-hmm. My life may be different than yours. My perception of things may be different than yours. Don't say you don't see color to me. Say you don't care about color. That's better. Yeah. Because I right? said I, that I think that the young generations don't see color. I see it less than we did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true. They're not shaking hands anymore. Right? right. You know what they're doing? They're giving dap. Yeah. That's what they do to each other. Whether white, black, this, that, that's what they're doing. Actually, that bad word that we don't say, right? You see a lot of all of them saying. Yeah. They don't use it the same way. Right. They use it. No one should say it, but they're not saying it in that way. Yeah. 
And you know, a lot of my friends where we grew up and where we, I grew up in New York City, uh, believe we used it. We said it. Yeah. I'm saying it right now. We did. Yeah. I could speak a whole different language in English. Yeah. Okay. But as we got older, we chose not to use it. We say things more, brother. What's up, brother? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't say that. And actually, being in South Carolina, I, I realized a lot of people just say brother, mm-hmm. whether it's due to religion or not. But we changed it. And, and the kids, the youth now, they're not saying it in that way. And I think that's a, a way where it's brought them together a little bit more strange. And I'm not specifically talking about that word, just um, the music's brought them together mm. over the years. I'm, I'm happier with how they interact a little mm-hmm. bit more. But there's still going to be, I ran, I ran a summer camp this last year here, and, and one of the young women was a, was a black woman. And she says, I don't see many black people where we're at. I don't see them in these. Now we're going to companies and they weren't, um, they had some women there, but they didn't have black women. Mm-hmm. They had a few black men. The whole, we, we did it for a week. We saw one black woman and about two black men, three black yeah. men. Yeah. And so this young woman was a little thrown off by that. Mm-hmm. And she's the labor force that we're talking about. Yeah. And the women themselves, all the women overall, the other women were okay. Because they saw women in positions of power. But mm-hmm. that one young woman asked me, you know, I don't see this. Yeah. So that's, and I'm not trying to say something bad about it, but it's, it's a clear indicator where a person like me might not care. I'm going to go after it anyway. Yeah. But other people don't perceive it that way. They're going to be, they're going to be deterred. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go into something possibly if, they don't see someone like themselves already there. They don't think it's possible to do that. Yeah, I think I think that is very straightforward, but it's it's uh, hugely important. Uh, and so, and it's a and it's a good place for us to end our conversation on that important okay. item. Hire with love. Hire with love, says Al Bolding. Al, thanks for being on the Soft to Steel podcast. Thank you for having me. It has been great. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.